It's midday. That means we launch another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And here we are with the roundtable to get you up to speed on a little bit of what you can expect over the course of the next couple of hours of information here on your Rural Radio Network station. I'm Dirk Christensen, and we have Susan Littlefield standing by to tell us what's going on in the ag team world today. Good after, Good morning, Susan. I keep wanting to think it's afternoon, but I never get the time change right. I know. It's screwing everybody up, isn't it? It does me. I know that. I, I, I think I'm trying to readjust my circadian rhythms here because I was up at 6.30 this morning, which I know is exactly opposite of what it should be, and uh, I could not get back to sleep. Those circadian rhythms. Yeah, that makes it. Go ahead. Go ahead, Susan. Oh, okay. I was going to say, <laughs> well, maybe we need to just spin you around in the chair two or three times and, and things will become more of an equilibrium if i get dizzy and fall down that might be the best policy actually <laughs> all right let's find out what's going on in ag world today susan lots of things happening of course at twelve nineteen, bryce is going to talk to Kristen hillman she is canada's deputy administrator to the u.s about nafta trade uh, preparation other importance of trade with canada because we know that will continue to be a hot topic for our producers. If you missed it yesterday, we'll have more on it at 1245. The Kansas governor is becoming proactive, and he's going to, his quote, nip it in the bud when it comes to the drought situation in Kansas. So he has a plan in place. We'll hear more about what he's planning to do to bring awareness to the entire state about the drought issues already. Dodge City, Kansas has not had precipitation, they said, in over five months. So it's definitely dire and a big issue. And the one and only former Ag Secretary John Block will join Clay at 117 just to talk about some issues that he's seeing in agriculture right now. All right, very good. John Block's always entertaining to listen to, so we'll listen for all of that. Thanks very much, Susan. We move over to the sports microphone here, and manning that today is, of course, our own uh, Mr. Foster. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Was, uh, you spread that out very nicely. Big day in sports, actually. Huskers open up their NIT tournament bid as they go for number 65. Uh, they will take on... Oh, please. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they will take on Mississippi State. Interestingly enough, this is where the season all started for the Huskers. They went down to Starkville for a preseason game back on October 22nd and won that one, 76-72. However, since then, the Bulldogs have uh, really, really played well in their own Coliseum. They're 18-2 and there, so it'll be a... A tough road to hoe for the Huskers there. Husker baseball team lost yesterday to Northern Colorado 6-3, to so they fall to 9-7. and And uh, we have a winner in the Iditarod. Oh, no. Yes. Really? I know. You've been waiting on it, so get your pools ready. <laughs> uh, the, the, only the third non-American to win. His name is Joe R. Olsen. He is from Norway. Jovar Olsen from Norway. Yeah, yeah. Won the Iditarod? Yeah, he Does did. Does he win any money? What do you get for the Iditarod? I don't anyway? know. But I, I think a warm place to stand. We'll talk to Dewey about that. He probably would know. <laughs> Dewey Nelson would know all about that. <laughs> it's Bob Rogan on business. Stocks are giving up an early gain and were broadly lower at midday as industrial companies and banks post hefty losses. And those are the headlines today. All of this and more coming up today along with the Iditarod on Midday.
Midday and our ag weather straight ahead with Paul Perkins brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. Lots of sunshine today. Headed into some possibilities of some scattered precipitation. Yeah, some hope on the horizon as far as some moisture and it's going to be some moisture that's very ideal in the form of some rain warming up very nicely right now. And uh, winter's not over for the northern tier of counties, is it? No, northwest and north central Nebraska, especially from Valentine into the northwest corner of Nebraska, and a winter storm watch late tomorrow night on into Friday evening. So, yeah, if you're headed that way, watch out. <laughs> we do have some nice temperatures right now across the area, upper 40s to the low 50s for the most part. Starting to see some mid-50s, though, towards Aurora, York, and down to Hebron, and also over north-central Nebraska towards about Thetford, Hainsworth, and O'Neill. But most of us ran around that 50-degree mark. Going to see today the nicest day of the week as an upper-level ridge of high pressure builds over the plains, leading to temperatures that are about 15 to 20 degrees warmer than what we saw yesterday. We will be slightly cooler tomorrow, but still on the mild side as the cold front starts to drop in from the northeast. Rain becomes likely, especially over Nebraska, Tomorrow night into Friday as an area of low pressure tracks across northern Kansas. Could see some thunderstorms with this system tomorrow night. Maybe a snow mix by Friday morning, but most areas not expecting to see little, or most areas just uh, will see little or no accumulation in most areas by Friday morning. But the winter storm conditions are possible once again in north central and northwest Nebraska. And once again, that winter storm watch for late tomorrow night into Friday evening from Valentine into the northwest corner of Nebraska. High pressure moves overhead to keep most of the weekend on the dry and mild side. More rain and snow are possible by Sunday night into Monday with another area of low pressure. Still a lot of uncertainty and questions on the exact precipitation chances with this system and there where there could be some rain or snow. So we will work those out as that system becomes better known on its exact path. But right now, mainly expecting some rainy conditions with that system. The weather starts to dry out again on Tuesday. And Temperature is not dropping off a whole lot with these approaching systems. In the long-term forecast, our temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas likely to be at least slightly cooler than normal Monday through March 27th. Now, for reference, today in central Nebraska, our normal daytime highs start averaging right around 50. Our precipitation outlook stays somewhat active with a prediction of slightly above normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 27th. The later periods toward southwest Kansas closer to normal precipitation amounts for this time of year. Three months after it started, La Nina is finished. La Nina, which is a cooling of the Pacific waters, results in more precipitation towards southeast Asia and eastern Australia and drier weather across southern Brazil, eastern Argentina, and the southern U.S. That's definitely panned out this year. This La Nina scorched the Argentina soybean crop, and there is a 62% chance right now that the Pacific Ocean will return to more of a neutral phase between next month and June. Weather factors the markets are considering include a highly variable rain forecast in Argentina and moderate to heavy rain for southern Brazil. On the backside of a departing nor'eastern, some sub-freezing temperatures expected tomorrow morning as far south as northern Florida in the eastern part of the U.S. Late-week precipitation will spread across the plains and develop across the southeast U.S., our heaviest of precip- uh, the best precipitation chances with this system and the heavier amounts, which could include some snow in some areas of the plains, should stretch from about Wyoming to Missouri. Dry conditions will persist for at least the next week in the southern plains wheat areas, along with several days of very warm weather. Rain definitely needed to avoid some yield declines since October. 
precipitation has totaled just 16 hundredths in Dodge City and just 7 hundredths in Amarillo, Texas. The topsoil in Kansas, 80% very short to short, and the Kansas governor declared 28 counties in emergency drought, 29 in a warning status, and 48 in a watch status. A weekend cold front and key Argentina crop areas may lead to some scattered thunderstorms. Any rain, though, unlikely to improve the prospects for the crops very much. An increase in rain for southern Brazil may be somewhat unfavorable for the maturing crops and could delay their harvest. Wow. Yeah, that whole 1600s. Area, that whole area is just freeze-dried this winter, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's oh, just uh, unbelievable. Yeah, can you imagine only seeing 1600s of moisture in about the last five months here? That's unbelievable. And then, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember, the opposite of La Nina is... El Nino. El Nino. Yeah, and that usually leads to a little more active weather pattern for okay. us. All right, well, I guess we could all hope for uh, what we need here, which is precipitation just about everywhere, but particularly those places that are all dried out. This ag weather has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer, and when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. The Prime Minister of Canada says that tariffs won't help in NAFTA negotiations. The EPA loses in court. And USDA Undersecretary Greg Ibach comments on the latest developments in the debate over the 199A tax law. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is brushing off the idea that Canada might be coerced into making concessions at the NAFTA negotiating table under the pressure of tariff threats from the U.S. The U.S. government has hinted that the decision to excuse Canada and Mexico from tariffs on steel and aluminum might only be temporary and somehow dependent on the result of a trade negotiation. President Trump has expressed a desire to get a NAFTA deal done in a timely fashion, and some prominent members of the administration are suggesting that the threat of steel and aluminum tariffs might help prod the negotiations along. Prime Minister Trudeau told a U.S. TV audience that he sees them as separate issues, saying we don't link together the tariffs and the negotiations with NAFTA. Trudeau also rejected the idea that the tariff exemption was some kind of benevolent American favor that required repayment. In Trudeau's view, the U.S. wasn't just helping Canada, it is helping itself by refraining from slapping tariffs on its number one supplier of both steel and aluminum. These exemptions aren't a magical favor that was being done for Canada. We're highlighting that the imposition of tariffs on Canada would end up hurting the U.S. almost as much as it would hurt Canada. Trudeau's view has a prominent support. A newly released poll of leading economists organized by the University of Chicago has found a rarity within the results on the topic with 0% of economists surveyed saying they believe tariffs will help Americans. In other ag news, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has until April 30th to designate areas of the country as either in or out of the attainment on national ambient air quality standards in the Clean Air Act after a federal judge ruled the agency missed a deadline last year to make the designations. In 2015, the EPA tightened the ozone standards to particulate matter from 75 parts per billion to only 70 parts per billion. The EPA's decision drew 269 interest groups from across the country, including many agriculture groups, who sent a letter to President Obama on July 29, 2015, opposing the changes. In the letter, the American Farm Bureau Federation, California Cotton Jenners, Corn Refiners Association, National Oilseed Processors Association, the Fertilizer Institute, and the Western Agricultural Processors Association said they opposed the standard. 
Finally today, the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives and the National Grain and Feed Association believe that they have found a solution to the 199A tax debate. In the revision to 199A, both associations hope to replicate to the greatest extent possible the tax benefits accorded to farmer-owned cooperatives and their farmer patrons under the previous Section 199A, also known as the Domestic Production Activities Deduction. Another goal of the revision is to restore the competitive landscape of the marketplace as it existed prior to December 2017 so that the tax code does not provide an incentive for farmers to do business with a company purely because it is organized as a cooperative or private independent firm. USDA Undersecretary Greg Eibach commented on the solution saying, The sweeping tax cuts and reform package championed by President Trump and passed by Congress is already working as designed, empowering growth across all economic sectors, including agriculture. An unattended consequence of the new law caused disparate treatment among independent operators and cooperatives in the same industry. Federal tax policy should not be picking winners and losers in the marketplace. We applaud Congress and stakeholders for coming together and agreeing to a solution on the good for all of agriculture. At USDA, we will provide whatever information to necessary to support Congress in their efforts to have the proposal included in the Omnibus Appropriations Bill. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. Kristen Hillman joins me now. She is the Canada's Deputy Ambassador to the United States. As Deputy Ambassador to the United States, you understand Nebraska-Canada's relationships. So remind folks uh, the important relationships that the two have. Okay, I, I, I'd love to. I mean, let me start by saying uh, I have been in this assignment to the U.S. for about seven months now, but spent most of my career in discussions with the U.S. on trade. Um, and, in fact, my family has a farm in Manitoba, about less than 20 miles from the North Dakota border, where you know we move back and forth between the two borders. My uncle, at one point, had property in both countries. Uh, a lot of people have family in both countries. So, to me, it's, it's, it's actually really special to be here, and it's special to be here um, in, in the agriculture uh, heartland. So, Canada in the U.S. and Canada in Nebraska, we are... Partners, right? We're allies. Where our our shared prosperity, our shared security, is something that uh, is a binding and deep relationship. And um, there's no place I think where that is more obvious than when we think about the agriculture sector and we think about our relationship with a state like Nebraska. So, for example, um, last year we uh, and and for most years there was a tiny glitch the year before last, but last year we were Nebraska's largest trading partner, so you exported 22% of everything that you sold internationally to Canada. Um, a lot of that is agriculture uh, products, beef and, and other products, but a lot of that is also manufactured products, farm machinery and other kinds of machinery. I know yesterday you met with uh, the governor of Nebraska, who's made a couple visits up to Canada to see how the Nebraska products are being uh, traded with uh, Canada. Talk about the message you've heard from Nebraska leaders specifically when it comes to trade with Canada. So we are really delighted with the support that we are getting from the leadership politically and the leadership of your business community. I think that everybody recognizes that this is a relationship that's working well. It's a relationship that's growing, um, that it's a relationship upon which jobs depend both here and, uh, and in Canada. In, in Nebraska, um, we have one out of every 11 jobs is tied to 
uh, trade with Canada uh, and Mexico under NAFTA. So that is that is something that everybody is understanding very deeply and, and making an effort to make sure that the citizens of Nebraska and the citizens of Canada also recognize that. On the contrast, uh, the Trump administration has a, a different perception of trade and that NAFTA should be renegotiated. Talk about the contrast that you've heard from Nebraska leaders to United States leaders. Well, you know, I think actually that in some respects there isn't a contrast. In some respects, what Nebraska leadership, the, the the federal leadership in the United States and can, the Canadian leadership is saying is that we have this profoundly deep um, trading relationship and partnership uh, overall in, between our two societies. We have the NAFTA, which is the foundation uh, of that relationship from an international rules perspective. It's almost 25 years old and it is in need of a bit of an update. And our government is very uh, on board with the idea of updating and modernizing the NAFTA, and we're, we're, we're quite keen to do that. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very much our responsibility to make sure that the rules that we put in place make sense for the way our, our citizens do business today. We've been talking with Canada's Deputy Ambassador to the United States, Kristen Hillman. Really appreciate you stopping by today and, and talking with us about NAFTA's a wide diversity of topics. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check into sports with Scott Foster. It's time for us to take a look at sports here on Midday. The Nebraska men's basketball program will make its first postseason appearance in four years tonight as the Huskers will travel to Starkville, Mississippi for a first-round NIT game at Mississippi State. The Huskers enter the NIT with a 22-10 and record but have not played since losing to eventual Big Ten champion Michigan in the Big Ten quarterfinals on March 2nd. The Huskers are the fifth seed in their portion of the bracket, while Mississippi State is the number four seed. The winner plays against the winner of the matchup between Baylor and Wagner, set for Tuesday evening. The 2018 NIT is the 25th postseason appearance in school history and the 18th time NU has played in the NIT. The Huskers are 23-16 and 16 all-time in the NIT, including a championship in 1996 and, a, and semifinal appearances in 83 and 87. This is NU's first NIT appearance since 2011. Mississippi State is 22-10 and 10 also and finished tied for 7th in the Southeastern Conference. The game is scheduled to start at 8.05. The Bulldogs and Huskers, by the way, met way back on October 22nd in a preseason game. Nebraska won that game in Starkville, 76-72. to Tied 3-3 after seven innings, Northern Colorado scored in the eighth and ninth innings to defeat Nebraska, who is now 9-7, by a 6-3 margin at Hawksfield on Tuesday afternoon. Senior Scott Schreiber led NU's offense with a 3-for-4 day to become the 26th member of Nebraska's 200-hit club. The Huskers have had at least one player join the 200-hit club in each of the last six seasons. The Huskers and Bears conclude their two-game set today, starting at 1.35 p.m. The NFL's new year begins today, clearing the way for a flurry of free agent signings. Among the moves expected, 39-year-old quarterback Drew Brees will get a contract extension with the New Orleans Saints, while Minnesota will lose two of its quarterbacks, Case Keenum to the Denver Broncos and Sam Bradford to the Arizona Cardinals. Kirk Cousins' agent says the free agent quarterback will visit Minnesota today amid reports that the former Redskins will sign a big contract with the Vikings. ESPN is reporting that Cousins will sign a fully guaranteed three-year, $84 million contract. 
But agent Mike McCarney says no deal is in place at this time. In baseball, the Mets are awaiting test results on outfielder Johannes Cespedes, who injured his right wrist during a game last week. The team also announced that captain David Wright won't participate in baseball activities for two months because of back and shoulder issues. And finally, Joar Ulsum of Norway has won the world's most famous sled dog race after a grueling dash across Alaska's rough terrain. He becomes the third person born outside the U.S. to claim the Iditarod Trail sled dog race. So way to go also. That's a look at sports. More of Midday coming your way on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Scott Foster. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett's. Last month, the University of Nebraska system announced a round of budget cuts after the governor recommended an $11 million cut to funding this year and a $23 million reduction to next year's appropriation. Even after the university system had taken steps to close a $46 million budget gap created in part by previous funding cuts and rising costs. In addition to those cuts, each campus was forced to look at its operations in order to demonstrate its effectiveness. Dr. Ron Rosati, the dean of the campus of the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture in Curtis, offers three points of assessment that his campus used to promote its success in serving students. NCTA is ranked as the number seven U.S. two-year college for graduate career success. That's based primarily on employment upon graduation. The average NCTA graduate, 10 years after graduation, makes $49,800. And that ranks NCTA as the number 11 two-year college in the United States. And one last statistic was return on educational investment, salary divided by cost of attendance. And on that parameter, NCTA was ranked as the number one two-year college in the United States. Two Omaha councilmen are exploring whether a bag fee of 5 or 10 cents charged to shoppers could reduce the number of plastic bags found all over the city. Council President Ben Gray and Councilman Pete Festerson say they're checking into what ordinances would be required to make grocery stores and other retailers collect the money. Festerson said yesterday they're not looking to ban the bags. Mayor Gene Stoddart criticized the potential fee as, quote, a tax on groceries, end quote. The most recent state report on Nebraska groundwater said the levels didn't change much over the report period. University of Nebraska Lincoln geologist Aaron Young says most of Nebraska received near-average precipitation over the report period of spring 2016 through spring 2017. But the 2017 Nebraska Statewide Groundwater Level Monitoring Report also said Nebraska had seen a slight decline in groundwater levels over the five-year period starting in the drought year of 2012. And a lawyer for hundreds of farmers, landowners, and business operators said the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers should act immediately to make flood control the top priority on the Missouri River after a federal judge ruled the agency was responsible for recurring flooding. The ruling said river management changes initiated by the Corps starting in 2004 led to damages in Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, and Iowa, and it's not clear at this point whether the U.S. government will appeal. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations whenever you use our app. From the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. Taking drought serious in Kansas. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield, Radio Network. Governor Jeff Collier issued a drought declaration for Kansas counties with Executive Order 1811 at a news conference with the Secretary of Agriculture, Jackie McClaskey and Kansas Water Office Director Tracy Streeter. The declaration includes all 105 counties either in an emergency, warning, 
or watch status. Part of my responsibility as governor is to help safeguard our state and our citizens from disasters, including drought. We want to nip it in the bud. The entire state of Kansas has been considered in drought or abnormally dry conditions for the past several weeks. There are 28 counties that are in a state of drought emergency right now, the counties in red. 29 are in the warning stage and 48 are in the watch stage right now. The entire 105 counties of the state of Kansas are at risk or experiencing drought right now. This has led to a very high risk of fire hazards and many have already occurred. Uh, I'd like to commend what we saw last week. We'd like to commend local fire departments, KDOT, Department of Agriculture, the Kansas Department of Emergency Management, Kansas Guard, National Weather Bureau, and many other agencies who came together to nip those fires in the bud. We had over 50 fires last week and we're in danger of more. We got a message from our emergency management liaison that is looking like beginning Thursday of this week, Thursday, beware the Ides of March, that through at least the first half of the next week, that we will see an elevated to significant fire conditions returning across the state. This will be especially in the western and southern parts of the state. Tracy Streeter, the director of the Kansas Water Office and chairman of the governor's drought response team, as well as the rest of our team, have been monitoring the dry weather situation in our state for the past few weeks. And they have advised me that we are now in a severe enough drought condition to require an executive order. As a state with a strong agriculture base, droughts have a big impact on our hardworking Kansans. They must have water to feed their animals and to water the water to grow our crops that feed the world. Without sufficient water for these important industries, our economy as a whole is at risk. And as you know, you know this very well. But in fact, we had even gotten through a whole year without a drought. Um, and now we're back. As a result today, I'm taking the following actions. We are going to try to nip it in the bud. First, we will be signing Executive Order 1811. It declares a drought watch, warning, or emergency for all 105 counties in Kansas. This authorizes and directs all agency under my jurisdiction to implement the appropriate watch warning or emergency level response actions assigned to them in their operations plan for drought response. Second, we will also institute a suspension of height and weight regulations on trucks carrying hay to expedite the process of allowing other states to move hay into drought-stricken areas. And he had a third item in the action plan. Is that we will be signing two letters today. One to Executive Director David Shem and the other to our county FSA directors. The purpose of the letter is to make them aware of the drought declaration so they can begin the process of requesting access to additional acres of land such as CRP land for haying and grazing. We think that this is an uh, appropriate use at this time. This is a way that we can help all farmers and ranchers use their CRP and other lands that are available. We know this is a difficult situation and we believe in Kansans and that they will do the right things and they are working with us. We want to get ahead of this and as much as possible. Tracy Streeter explains the drought response. Droughts, no stranger to Kansas. 
And as such, we we really are have become very good at rallying the troops when it's, when the time is right. We've been monitoring this drought for actually months, and agriculture feels drought first in the state. And some of our ag producers have started experiencing the effects of drought even last year, uh, late in the summer, and even during the growing season in some places. From a water supply standpoint, the drought really hasn't stressed us all that much yet. The reservoir levels are pretty stable. Um, but this is a good time to raise that awareness with our public water suppliers to get those drought ordinances out and look at their conservation plans be prepared to put them into effect. Um, because, as you know, drought's insidious, and you never know when to jump in and start taking action. But I guess the rule of thumb is, is you should be doing it earlier rather than later. And so that's kind of the key message today is to, to make uh, everybody aware of, of the, the declarations that the governor is getting ready to uh, sign and have folks really be proactive and look at their own situations at home and make sure that they're prepared because quite frankly the, the forecast is not for it to improve. Uh, at least in the short run we don't see any indications of drought letting up although we do have a I think an 80 percent chance of rain on Thursday and I hope that's right. Uh, but if the, the climatologists and the meteorologists looking forward are seeing no, no significant relief at least in the short run. We do happen to see a little bit of relief in May and we'll see if that comes to fruition or not. We hope it does. You can read more about the work in Kansas for the drought at RuralRadio.com. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next, we get a review of the livestock futures trade today with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, a pretty choppy day today. Uh, we're going to finish uh, mostly higher in the cattle, steady to higher. Um, but we did start out a lot higher and uh, basically sold off uh, here in the last hour or two. Um, mainly uh, starting out better because of the uh, trade yesterday uh, is uh, 127, 128 in the cattle, and uh, that really helped. Uh, cutouts were a little lower last night, but uh, were higher again at noon. But uh, we kind of faded here at the end, uh, just to close unchanged in the uh, October and August contracts and then just slightly higher in the uh, June contract the winter was the uh, April contract up a dollar 10 so uh, that in line with uh, with basically what the cash was trading uh, yesterday haven't heard of anything new today so uh, anyway that uh, still a positive day the feeders all higher uh, Mainly because the uh, grains turned lower in the mid-session, and uh, that was they, they were able to uh, maintain most of their gains. Over in the hogs, uh, cash a little bit softer uh, again today. Cutouts were lower last night, uh, bounced back a bit at uh, noon, but uh, the nearby April contract under some pressure because of that still uh, uh, at a premium to the uh, index. The rest of the months a little bit better. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call him at 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. 
to look to the future, you must first look to the past. And that's a concept we're going to apply today to international trade and tariffs. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to talk about this, former Secretary of Agriculture John Block. And Secretary Block, as we get started, what was President Reagan's take on tariffs and how did he use them with international trade? Well, President Reagan, he supported trade, but he could be on occasion kind of tough on other countries. You know, he did that on Japan a time or two. I remember one time I was trying to open the door to sell uh, mostly fruits into Japan, and I had uh, representatives in my office, and this one guy just flew off the handle, and I had an individual there that was doing the interpretation. And I said, what's he saying? He's really angry. And the guy, my interpreter said, you don't want to know what he's saying. So the Japanese were tough to deal with, and the president tried to impose some some tariffs on them and some things to make them open things up. And Secretary Block, I bring you back to talking about the President Reagan being tough on Japanese uh, imports. And at one point in time, he imposed a 100% tariff on Japanese electronics and on Japanese electronic uh, manufacturers importing to the U.S. When the President did that, was there reaction from the international community as well as Japan? And did they take action against agriculture or other sectors of uh, industry? Well, I know that there was a criticism from some other countries. I don't recall specifically that they attacked agriculture in return, but they certainly wouldn't open the trade up to anything after that. You're going to get a reaction. It's not never even handed. It's back and forth. And Secretary Block, we've talked about President Trump's current tariffs on steel and aluminum, and a lot of people are concerned that in the agriculture community that China may come in against it, and we talked about our large deficit in trading and with China. Do you see China as a potential threat and using agriculture as the leverage they have against these upcoming tariffs? Well, this is a complicated situation. President Trump likes to be friendly and close to China, and he's using, to the extent he could get him to do it, China to put the pressure on North Korea to get North Korea to give up their nuclear weapons. Uh, that's one side of it. But the other side of it is, as I mentioned earlier, China's $375 billion trade surplus with us. Well, the president needs to deal with that. And when it comes to steel and aluminum, even though we don't buy, I think it's about 8% of our steel or aluminum from China, but they export to the world half of the steel, not not 8%, half of it. So they've obviously got a big subsidy in, uh, in China uh, keeping those steel mills going. And overall, do you expect this to start a global trade war, or do you think the tensions can be resolved and that there's other ways around this with the tariffs? And these other countries that we deal with, allies and otherwise, they don't want a trade war. I don't think they do. Uh, the, the global economy's uh, just going along pretty good right now, and I think a lot of countries don't want a trade war. Uh, and I don't think uh, President Trump wants one, but he's trying to leverage some of the pressure that he can find to get a few things, well, to, to get a little better trade balance for the United States. That's former Secretary of Agriculture John Block talking trade and tariffs on the Rural Radio Network. 
Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And we're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Soybeans really uh, pretty much took a hit today. Can you tell us why? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just the sentiment of this uh, you know, administration as far as what, what the counterattack will be on these tariffs. It's not sure exactly when he's going to announce it, but it sounds like there was like $60 billion worth of tariffs that are going to be levied here in the next couple of days. And, I, you know, I, that beans are the, the one that everybody's going to be scared of. I, I think you got to be real careful longer term to be scared. I can see in the short term, we're so long, you know, this thing is, is poised to have a lot of spec liquidation. But if we get a good report tomorrow on exports, uh, I think that could counter that a little bit. So I'd be careful being too short here into the weekend. Uh, between that, the, the tariffs, you know, with the export demand of the U.S., for, from the U.S., and then uh, weather in Argentina changing a little bit, there's, there's room for this market to go down a little bit. But I, I would be careful to get too bearish. Well, we have double crop areas of soybeans in, in Brazil. They're looking to build up some moisture, and their planting's back to normal. Would that add pressure to the market, too? Yeah, I think a little bit. I mean, again, the moisture that we're going to see down there is, is stabilizing factors more. And in reality, I think the uh, you know the planting for corn and the, and the harvest for beans, a lot of that's baked in the cake. U.S. beans are still the cheapest in the world. So uh, the problem in the short in the last couple of weeks is we've just put a lot of spec money into the trade, and now you're seeing, you know, scared money run for the hills, basically. And I think that, uh, you know, is a theme that, you know, you've seen this, this morning in the hog markets, especially when a new, when news like that breaks and you get kind of a big rush to the exit, uh, you know, folks tend to overreact. I still think this market is one that you want to at least play from a sideways perspective here. I just don't believe the market needs to trade lower. We're going to need global acres, and part of that is the U.S. It's a little bit of a catch-22 here. I, I saw Allendale's numbers this morning around $92.5 million. That is a really good number for beans, but it's way, way low for corn. I mean, 80 and a half, 90, 89 million acres of corn is not going to cut it. So my thought would be the market's got to get to a point where it's going to stabilize the, the corn acreage situation. Where is that? I, I don't know. Nobody can really be identify that for me. Um, but that would be ideally, ideally where I think the corn market is headed in the, in the longer run. So short term here, it's about money flow uh, on the corn and the, and the beet side. But I think longer term, I, I would not be selling this market at these prices. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. And, of course, Southwestern Plains weather continues to be stressful in the short term. That propelled Kansas City wheat higher. Chicago was a follower. Looked like spread trading today because Minneapolis spring wheat futures finished modestly lower. This is the Rural Radio Network.